Hello and welcome to the Hopeful Influence podcast and we are in episode three of season three where we take a deep dive into the topic of AI, artificial intelligence and so far we've been getting to grips with what AI is, uh, what junk code is and in this episode we will be looking at how uh, we can engage with AI. Do we make AI in our image? How much space and trust do we give to AI? If God has designed us to steward the world, what does that look like for us? And how can we help AI develop and how vital Christians can be in its success? So we understand that this is a bit of a narrow, deeper dive into one particular topic. But we're really hopeful that this is us as Christians uh, really engaging with something that will be uh, the future of our world. And so engaging well will determine how successful uh, we are in stewarding the planet. So we hope you've been enjoying the podcast so far. And I, for one, I'm really excited for this next episode. So uh, we'll continue our conversation with Eve now. And um, I hope you enjoy. Just coming back to the the, the previous conversation around kind of, um, you know, the, the, we, we've made this, um, we're, we're beginning to make artificial intelligence in our image and, and and the kind of how much space and trust do we give to the creation uh, that we're making. Um, I, I wonder whether just, just on a practical point, part of our suspicion and part of the reason why we, we, we're trying to draw hard lines and stuff around things as things develop is that... Um, is that we just recognize that with scale, particularly, you know, technology and scale, um, things can get out of hand pretty quick. Do, do, do you know what I mean? You know, I mean, you know, you talk, you know, all the stories, you know, all the imaginative you know, novels and things that have been written about, you know, the computer systems that control our, you know, our, our nuclear missiles and our air defenses and all the rest of it. And so things can, you know, we're not talking about, you know, building a little, you know, a little robot that kind of sits out the back that we can nurture like a child. Do you know what I mean? We, the, the scale and, 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 and the, the, the degree of, of decision-making that you're potentially handing over to artificial intelligence. I mean, every time we move quickly with technological development, it feels like we're, we're mopping up for generations afterwards. You know, you know exploitation of the environment, oil, you know, armament, uh, military power, um, you know, every level, you know, we just we just screw it up, you know. So isn't there a pragmatic kind of thing that says, well, you know, at least we got to be careful, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Is that, does that resonate? Yeah, and, I, and again, this is the great thing about particular wisdom traditions is is we know our propensity to sin. Uh, and we know it's very unlikely that we'll do things that <laughs> that always work and are beautiful. But but the thing about mistakes is it's about learning from them. And, it, and it's about recognising that God has at least designed us to try and minimise those mistakes and have the capacity to try and do as well as we can. Uh, and it's trying to hold tightly onto that design in everything that we do and, and not design things vicariously badly you know, without thinking about it. But but it's also to remember that the thing about stories is for the technology of a story to work, there has to be jeopardy and there has to be goodies and baddies. And so generally, 
when you look at sci-fi, it's all about kind of evil overlords and things. But but also there's a different spin um, on whether AI could be more wise than us. Um, the idea about omniscience is that God knows everything, so God is ultimately wise because there is nothing unknown by God. One of the reasons that we do make mistakes is we just can't see all the information and we can't see all the potential future scenarios um, that then emerge once we've made our decisions. But AI might be able to be wiser than us. So here's a really nice, very small example from the world of chess, which of course is one of the areas we have optimized AI in. So after Deep Blue, there was um, another AI that was built. I, it was called something Snap. It wasn't Snappish, but it was Snap. Anyway, something Snappy-ish. And it was a really brilliant AI that was fed as training data pretty much every human game of chess they could possibly get their hands on. So this thing was incredibly smart in terms of the learned experience of every grandmaster there's ever been. And uh, and in, in as you'd expect, it, it absolutely cleaned up until AlphaZero came along. And AlphaZero was an experiment in just giving the AI the rules and making it play itself. So it had never been infected, if you like, with any human chess playing. It only ever learned technically and played itself. And what was really interesting is because it had literally played millions of games just with itself, it evolved a strategy which is qualitatively different from a human strategy. So if you remember your chess, your human strategy tends to be about trying to get a massive pile of pieces beside your board that you've taken from your opponent. You, know, you clear the board, don't you? But actually... AlphaZero knows it's not about taking pieces, it's about checkmate. So what AlphaZero does is it, it's not very interested in taking pieces. It'll take them if it has to. What it will do is disable your pieces. So it traps your pieces so you can't use them um, so that it can get more quickly to checkmate by just making a lot of the board a no-go area for you. And actually... That's a much wiser strategy and less full of carnage if you think about it in a conflict situation, because it's just about snookering you, not actually annihilating you. <laughs> um, so, so that's an example of, uh, you know, presumably when we play chess, we've got all our baggage about warfare and bodies. And I don't know where we got all that from. That We have these instincts about taking pieces and <laughs> destroying the queen. <laughs> and and AlphaGo didn't have any of that baggage. And uh, it is a very triumphant chess tool and and wins a lot amazing i love that i love that i mean that's as you say to your to your um the elements of kind of junk code um you know there's, there's bits in there isn't there the mistakes the uncertainty the learning that it's applied things presumably that um you know to, to achieve a level of sort of wisdom beyond kind of what it what it would have harnessed normal human uh, learning really really helpful um so so back on the theology back on the back on the theology of this then so so this question of like was it always part of god's plan that we would you know discover develop ai and was it always god's plan you know the the the, the big plan of, of recreation and renewal of, of the god-shaped future of humanity moving towards the world as it should be rather than the world as it is you know god 
obviously no knew that the technology, the technology was there to be created, to be discovered, you know, in just the same way that with all of our natural sciences, you know, we're, we're, in a sense, we're thinking after God, aren't we, in our, in our natural sciences. We're kind of, we're, we're, we're understanding, we're getting better grip on the kind of the world that God ultimately created and we're marshalling it. So nothing's new to God. God knew that this, this potential was always there. Um, you know, if we think about the journey of humanity into that that, that God shaped future, could it could it be then that that, that artificial intelligence was always part uh, of that plan? Um, and 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 maybe to sort of riff, you know, pull out some of these um, elements of the junk code. You know, is is it is it about um, programming in, you know, with real intentionality? some of this junk code so that our, you know, I don't know, I don't know quite how to put it, but our sort of a, um, <laughs> you know, our, our um, um, uh, yeah, the, the, the creation that we have created, you know, that's going to be- potentially become this partner to us as we, as we journey forward into a new future. Is it about then saying, well, let, let's have a, a better understanding of what that, under God, you know, what that creation should look like? And that, that's the big gamble. I mean, we don't know um, because we're not on this. I can't even say omniscient because I'm not omniscient. Uh, I can't pronounce it. Uh, we don't know. But what is interesting is that we have seen this before and we have known. So with eugenics, we knew that was not God's plan. It was not God's plan to design out every sort of human that didn't conform to a particular vision we had of perfection. So I suspect we can learn from that, that one of the things that we shouldn't be doing is creating one artificial general intelligence that is homogenous, because we know from all our stories that our strength is in our diversity. So we have an incredible range of humans. Every species has an incredible range of diversity within it. And that is a natural risk mitigator, that diversity. If you have one design, it's incredibly susceptible to virus and attack. And once it's gone, it's over. So we know already that the the project of eugenics, and apart from, you know, which design are you going to pick, which is a huge problem. um, It's also just we we don't think that's what God wants. Um, We... Well, none of us can possibly tell whether God is sort of nudging us into this or not. I mean, this is the whole problem with the human condition is you just have to bugger on, as Churchill said. Um, but the point of our design is to try and give us a few clues about places we shouldn't go and places that might be fruitful to go. And and the big gamble for me is to say, well, look, given that we know that and given that we've got ourselves into a bit of a pickle, would it not be sensible to say, well, God designed us And if we're trying to design humans, whether it's their intelligence or anything else about them, why wouldn't we take our own blueprint seriously? And I don't know how that will end. I mean, I don't know whether my book is is a recipe for, you know, very swift AI overlord takeover. Um, You know, if we give them all our secret sauce, you you know, are we just handing over the keys? Um, But I think I would feel better about that than us deliberately designing something that is this deficient because we know how beautifully designed we are for our purposes and it feels extremely
extraordinarily risky and selfish not to be generous about that. So again, whenever I think about this, I think a lot of it is about fear and jeopardy because of the storylines. You know, we love that thrill of sitting and watching all these kind of movies where the, you know, will the robots take over and, oh, and then we sort of have our popcorn and that it all resolves at the end. But actually, we're kind of living that now and we need to take that a bit more seriously and think, well, we don't know, but we know a thing or two from how we've treated other entities in the world, whether they are animals or, or, or bits of the planet, um, that we should not be behaving in fear, which is what this control thing is all about. We should be behaving in love. So actually, if we love animals, if we love the planet, if we love aliens, if we love AI, what would we do in generosity towards them? And, and that's what God put into our design about how we should be relating. Um, and I think it's about how do we keep being the best possible humans we can be in this space, then I don't think we can go wrong, really. Yeah. Because we're designed beautifully for God's ends. We just need to stay true to our design. Brilliant. Brilliant. The, um, it's a, bit on, it's a bit on the theology of ethics, I might, I might just chuck in. And then I've got a question for you around this gestation period, because that feels like a, you know, and, and the early life, because that feels like it resonates with what you're saying there. So, so on, the, on the ethics, ethics of the kingdom, um, I often think, you know, um, as we journey, as we journey forward as humanity, um, you know, I, I like to encourage folks in our, in our community to sort of imagine what life under the Lordship of Jesus looks like in any particular sphere of life. It's like, what, what, what does more of God look like? What is it? And, and almost imagining that new heaven and new earth as, as, as the, the, the perfected um, a world, a universe, creation. What, what is the next step towards that look like? Not, you know, and clearly God's going to have to do some big work of renewal before we move into it. And it, we're talking about the life after this physical one this this one that we're experiencing in an existential sense you know beyond you know death and, and moving into um so there's there's a sort of there's, there's, a, there's a, a sort of ultimate eschatological change moment before the new creation comes but, but in this life what's the next step towards that future that god has for us um but it's interesting god god seems to put, have still whatever the next step is god seems to have put some boundaries around how much of the kingdom can be realized in our current existence so example example you know jesus declared all foods as clean but it seems to me that in, the, in this life that we lead and it's just a personal angle on it but it seems to me in this life that we lead you know killing another animal to eat now i i'm not a vegetarian i, I eat meat but, but it seems to me that in the in the world as it should be the idea that animals would kill each other to exist seems to be a bit out of sync with the kind of world that God would want for us. I, just, I offer that. It also, I mean, just, just riffing on a few examples, you know, presumably in, 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 in the world as it should be, um, we're going to enjoy incredibly intimate relationships with one another. You know, the very, you know, we're, we're moving towards, it's almost we're moving towards life where God's drawn humanity deeper into the experience and the union of the Godhead, almost. You know, there's, there's a sense, isn't it, which we're being drawn into God. God gives us his spirit now and is calling us into that restored relationship with Father, Son and, and Spirit. And, um, you know, theologians have riffed, you know, for years, haven't they, about the qualities of the life of the Godhead and, you know, perichoresis and sort of inter 
sort of uh, penetrative relationships within the Godhead. How we understand that, but but it, you know, it can almost look a bit like sexual union. Um, but but presumably the ethics of today aren't that we're we're pursuing deeply intimate relationships with everybody. Uh, you know, God seems to have put some boundaries around that for our, within our current life. You know, I'm married to my wife Hannah, and you know, I'm not meant to be pursuing <laughs> really deep emotional and intimate relationships with other people because I, there's a particular one that that God said that's how I'm structuring things in this life. Now, people went up to Jesus and said, "Well, what about marriage in in the in the in in the in the ultimate kingdom in, the, in what we're moving into?" And Jesus said, "Well, we won't be married." You know, in the same way that we are today, that 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 restriction, that that sort of um, um, that, that, that 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 demarcation, that that sort of marshalling of emotion and commitment, won't exist in the same way when everything is put right and the, all the things are, are renewed. So, so we 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 are informed by you know a vision for the world that is about you know, the, the life of Jesus and the sacrificial love and, and, and uh, the other person-centeredness, the freeing from ourselves, the good care for the environment. You know, there's, there's things we can get a handle on theologically, but there are limits as well, aren't there, to, to how much of that ethics of the, ultimately of the kingdom, can drop into the present. You know, we can't, you know, so we're not, you know, the sort of the idealism that we could... You know, and this is the utopia thing, I think, sometimes, that we think we can create heaven on earth through our own human power, you know, and, 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 and constructs. And actually, we, in a sense, we're always going to be waiting, you know, before that great moment of renewal that God does. We're always going to be waiting. We're always going to be longing for the world as it should be. And, and part of the Christian journey we know is that we live with, with, we live with, 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 with the not yet you know, the kingdom is, it is now, we, we do experience the fullness of God. We, we, we know his love and his commitment to us. We have that revelation. We, we're motivated into life. We, and we can see, you know, the tangible qualities of that, you know, the things in life, you know, parenting, the NHS, the beauties of the world. You know, we see the goodness. So there is a now bit to it, but there's also a not yet and a longing. And so, so there's a sort of, maybe a humility in this too, that says, well, this isn't about, you know the perfection of all things, but it's but it's about the journeying towards the way things should be, and and possibly AI as a as a partner to us as we move um, on that on that journey. So I mean, you may want to respond to that though, that theological idea, but the particular question I think underneath it is this thing around gestation and early life, which is what you drew attention to initially, as as one of the hinge points of of free will because we in our application we, so we've got a guy uh, a guy called Charles in our congregation who works on the ethics committee with the home office and and you know people companies up and down the country are saying to the government legislate us on this application of AI legislate us because this technology is moving fast and people are going to be out of jobs and we all sorts of we're going to give decision making away into a realm which we don't fully understand. Help us, you know, so it's almost like, help us take the, we need to be able to take the next step. We don't want to run too fast and gestation, early life. Those are qualities that you were kind of drawing attention to as a, as a way of marshalling free will. So, so is part of this about recognizing the limits 
I guess, of what we're trying to achieve, but also moving at a pace, you know, and, and, and the question of, well, how do we move at a pace that doesn't put us in or that, that minimizes the chance of us getting into dangerous situations? How do we, how do, we do that? We can overuse the metaphor of parenting, of course, because um, robots aren't our children. But there are some useful things, of course, we've learned from that, which we are expert in because we've been doing it for so very long. And we know when our children are young that we tend to give them more direction and um, attend more to parameters and safety than we do when they're older. Um, because at that stage, we know that they are not capable of making those decisions for themselves. And we manage that child by child, parent by parent, generation by generation, as beautifully as we can. Not always successfully, but there is a genuine attempt in love to get that right every time. Um, I suppose with AI, we kind of birthed this without really imagining what we might have started. Um, and it's no wonder that everyone is in a bit of a panic saying, quick, you know, slam the lids on. It's a bit like that kind of whack-a-mole. You know, the second you've slammed one bit of legislation in, then there's another thing pops up over here you didn't know about. And also there's a, a vast unknowing because all of this is in private hands. And, you know, we've seen chat GPT, but we haven't seen what else is out there. Um, so I guess in terms of immediate next steps, there probably does need to be a period of quite draconian regulation until we are clear about some of these basics, because we're not. Um, my concern about that is that the UK's line on this is already quite limited. So um, the Select Committee recently produced a report about regulation um, of AI in the UK, and it had a lot of really important things in it about algorithmic bias and auditing of, uh, you know, the transparency and explainability of all of these things. and you know, controls about what use you're going to put these things to. And there was a huge amount of really useful stuff in there, but it was predicated on the kind of um, gas demand monitoring type AI that we talked about earlier. It's quite black box. And yes, of course, it's very dangerous because if you have biased algorithms and you have, you know, bad users, there's a whole load of damage that those quite sophisticated algorithmic driven AIs can do but they are quite containable because they are rules-based um, and they don't have the freedom to change their own rules in the way that other AIs might. So the UK has doubled down on regulating that, which is not full time and needs to be done fast and well, but we've already absolutely lost it around the other sort of AI, this frontier AI, where we have already started programming in something that looks like free will because we are giving these things the capacity through self-learning to reprogram at will, to change their own coding. And actually, the UK is entirely ducking that. The EU legislation, which is coming on stream fairly shortly, doesn't. It does talk about cognitive AI as a separate sort of thing that needs separate sorts of attention. And the Frontier AI conference in the UK will, I'm sure, do some work to catch up on that. But that's actually the thing that is more dangerous because we just don't know very much about it. So it's a classic human reaction, which is to sort of do the easy bit, right. <laughs> which is complicated enough to keep us all quite busy, by the way. But it's kind of missing the point, which is that that boat has sailed. Um, so, yes, we need to double down, get some basics in, in, in place in terms of next steps. But I think it depends which next steps you're talking about, because I think there is some immediate in terms of short term next steps. But... 
my point about love is I think one of the kind of meta narratives that needs to be driving our entire approach to this, which is that the one thing we know about our religion and in fact all religions and pretty much all faith traditions and all philosophical traditions is that they do tend to all come out about love being the primary driver, the primary law, the primary point. Um, so there is actually incredibly wide public agreement on that yeah. as a kind of rule. Um, and actually that needs to be something we talk about more, um, which is are we coming at this from a fear-based response or a love-based response? Um, because love doesn't make you stupid, but it makes you generous and thoughtful, um, whereas fear can just make you um, panic um, in a way we're already seeing, which is not very productive and, and a very little long-term value. So those developers who are, those organisations that are working on cognitive AI and, and, and the sort of... Um, Machines that can can reprogram, relearn, you know, um, have development of, of the free will and free will. How do we um, incentivize them to to um, to bring in the junk, to program in the junk code, and and uh, you know what is that? Because it's you know, commercial. You know, we're in a commercial world. Um, you know, is, is it is it incentivizing through particular legislation where you're sort of you're arguing for AI to be marshaled in a particular way, um, or, or are there are there commercial um, uh, you know value points that, that that are driving some of that development too? And is it is it that that, that companies are, just need to be helped to understand where the development needs to go to make it sustainable and 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 and, and properly? Um, well, I've kind of got two responses to that because you can already see with the uptake on uncertainty and the reinforcement learning around mistakes that the developers have realized that we've got some useful smarts on risk management um, and that's one way to look at junk code it's all risk management so actually if you're interested in AI safety it's pretty inevitable you're going to stumble across this stuff eventually I suppose what I'm trying to do is accelerate that conversation by pointing it out um, in a more organised way than just noticing uncertainty in cancer scans or reinforcement learning in um, those kinds of AIs. I think longer term there needs to be a um, really important piece of learning from other professions. So I'm sitting in Edinburgh, which was famously the home of the body snatchers and Burke and Hare. And, you know, in those days, you just needed to get a lot of bodies for dissection. So you would sort of, if your granny was about to pop a clogs, you'd bring the lads up and then they would uh, come and get the pillow ready. And uh, it took a while for it to be clear that that wasn't cricket and that there needed to be some professional standards um, and Hippocratic oaths and all those kinds of things to try and make sure that there was a do no harm um, edict. Um, so even if you're working for a private corporation, if you're registered as a medical professional or as a lawyer or as a you know, accountant or something, there are professional standards which you also need to adhere to. And that stops you just doing what your evil overlords might want you to do, because otherwise you get struck off and you lose your ability to practice. So there is no such equivalent in AI. But it would probably be helpful if there was some kind of professional body that would say there are some do no harm standards here that we need you to be trained in and cognizant of um, before you are safe to operate in the space. 
And there have been some calls emerging for that, and that would be something I would very much welcome, um, is professionalising that space as a way of, of putting some more accountability into it. And, the, and so the and, and one way of doing that um, would be to take more seriously um, the elements in our own you know pro, the programming the elements in our own humanity as you've you know mapped out through junk code and you know the, the, the kind of, one way of doing that would be would be that kind of framework is, is, is what you're saying yeah in the same way that we don't have to have the churches if you think about it I mean you know you could say important things about worship and all, all kinds of other stuff. But if you think about the kind of function of churches, they're also a bit of junk code because they're about saying, you know, there's this dreadfully wayward creation who has a sort of common belief in God, but we keep getting it wrong and cocking it up and going the wrong direction. And wouldn't it be helpful if we had a community who would hold us to account? So week by week we meet, we worship, we pray, we listen to the stories, we say the prayers. We are inspired by examples. Um, we are admonished when we've got it wrong. And it's an incredible societal investment in trying to keep us going in the way of God. Um, but that is a massive machine, if you think about it, um, and incredibly helpful in, in terms of helping people be their best selves. But there needs to be a sort of church for, for AI. Um, in this sort of regulatory community, there needs to be a sort of liturgy of, you know, what are we doing when we're making these creatures that are a person-like? Um, and are we doing that well enough? Um, why are we doing it? And, and what is the teleology of those entities? And what is, frankly, our teleology in this? Um, so I, I think that's why the church has such an important role to play, because we're the experts in souls. Um, and if all of this code is kind of hallmark of soul territory, then we're the ones that can help with it. But we also know, because we're rejoicing in free will, what the dangers of that are. And that's why we have spent thousands of years trying to perfect ways to, to keep us right so that we survive as a species and that we continue to honour our creator and honour our own design. So we've got a lot of smarts that we could share around how do you create communities around this stuff make it safe. Hey, well, I'm a vicar, so I agree with you. <laughs> but, we, you know, we are... As, as an institution, at least as a church, we are, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're regaining ground. But, you know, in, in contemporary British society, you know, in the last 40 or 50 years, we have been more and more sidelined, haven't we? And, and our, our narratives have been mocked. And, you know, the, um, the individualistic, you know, the move of the, the sort of uh, the determinate individual um, and, and the advance of our technology you know, have given people the impression that that they don't need the riches of, of our, our sort of spiritual our tradition. And, and, and in many ways, the things that have shaped our society and got us to this point and underpin, I would argue, so much of our common life, you know, have been, are being more and more marginalised. And, and so we, there's a, for us to find our voice at this table, um, you know, we 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 
we've got some challenges. We've got some challenges. I mean, absolutely. Not- but that, that's partly because the church has just copped this up because we're a human institution as well, and with our own, you know, multiplied junk code collectively. So. The church, as you would expect, since the Battle of Milvian Bridge or whatever it was, has got very obsessed with power and status. And for instance, our strategy over the last 10, 20 years, ever since the decade of evangelism, has been about size, you know, and discipling. And of course, there's lots of good things about that, but it is essentially a narrative of power and um, accumulation and trying to get more wealthy. And, And that is all about um status it, it can also be about good things by the way but in terms of what game we're playing in society it's much more about we're still here we're still really important listen to us you know we're still big big guns big players but if you ignore that for a minute and you think sort of soft focus around what the point is of faith institutions in the west and you look at all the international data there is around what's happening when societies lose their faithfulness is mental health problems just shoot up because actually one of the things that these communities do whatever their religion is or whether they're a philosophical group but they hold communities to account and they say these are the rules you know all that stuff about having bobbies on the beat and having your neighbor tell you off for kicking the football into the garden and all that stuff all that kind of pilloried 1950s stuff is all about trying to rein in our junk code and say there are ways to behave in this community and these are the people who will hold you to account. When you don't have that, it's the Wild West and people don't know where they are. They don't know what good looks like and then they end up having an existential crisis and mental health goes down the toilet. So, you know, it's not that Christianity is necessarily the only and the best way. I know that many of us would believe that, but it is self-evident there are lots of other options out there and there's no point i think these days thinking that christianity should be the only or the the best or the most superior for all the reasons we talked about about diversity and a generous god wanting there to be all kinds of ladders back to god not just one in one particular time in one particular geography but i think there is something to be learned from the fact that whatever you think of our actual specific beliefs what our community knows and what our community has learned is that you do need these kinds of communities in order to keep humans safe and flourishing. And those are the things that we have every right to teach back to society. You know, and it's not that we want to deny our religious beliefs that are supporting those and, and giving them life and giving them traction, making us want to keep doing these things. Because again, back to the junk code, the meaning and purpose, they're pivotal and they're the only reason we still have them. But again, if you if you kind of just slightly wind back from the power status into what is the function of what we're doing, then we absolutely should stand up and say, well, look, actually, we've got a couple of thousand years, probably more than that, if you look at the whole thing, experience and the kinds of things that would help in these situations. And these are the things we've learned. We don't need to say, and by the way, unless you get confirmed or baptised right now, we're not going to talk to you. Um, but as I said, you know, if you actually want to believe in humans, you do end up having to believe in God. Um, so we have to trust God on that. Yeah, no, I get, I get that, and I guess that is a that is really helpful when we're thinking about the posture of the, particularly the institutional church, and finding our voice as a broader community. I guess the other bit of it is that the church is also the church scattered, isn't it? And that you know, you, there are Christian people right now developing AI. You know, there are Christian people right now working in these companies working in businesses, thinking through the application 
uh, of this technology. And that's happening today. And so I guess the other elements of this and you know, part of the purposes of this podcast, I guess, and, and, and other forms um, of sort of conversation, engagement, thinking like it, is that we are trying to, what we want to do is we want to equip Christians everywhere, you know, to be able to think uh, this stuff through theologically and think through what their influence looks like in their particular, you know, sphere. So, so for those people who are engaged in, you know, the, the, the technological development of AI, the application of AI, the, 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 the thinking it through, the legislation, all of that stuff, we want to be bringing it back to, to a narrative that we share um, about Jesus and about the kingdom and, and kind of resourcing our folks uh, for that. Um, so hopefully people listening in this conversation, to this today are kind of are kind of drawing on some of that and thinking, well, actually, well, how do I then, you know, apply this and how does this influence, you know, what I'm doing in my, my workplace uh, right now? Um, back on back on the sort of development of the, uh, the elements of junk code, um, and it, it kind of relates to where we, we've got to there, I think. Um, so in terms of telling, you know, telling robots stories, and helping them develop meaning. Um, what do you do? Do you, do you tell the you tell the AI uh, the AI bots? Do you, do you do you preach them the gospel? Do you tell them the story that we're? Yes, you absolutely do. And of course, what's really interesting is that um, Sam Altman, who's behind OpenAI, has recently been criticised because he has a particular guru who is writing him a sort of script that he thinks AI should learn about what the best moral path is. And that's making a lot of people panic because they say, well, who, who chooses which is the script? Um, and my goodness, don't we know from eugenics that that is the entire point. And I guess my concern for everyone working in AI is that it is a very homogenous community in many ways, not necessarily in terms of ethnicity, but certainly in terms of personality type. And that personality type is what is being programmed in as a kind of invisible default, because it's not seen as a personality type. It's just the way things clearly are, because everyone is thinking like this around me. Um, and as I said earlier, our strength is in our diversity. So there is something really, really crucial about how are we naturally bringing all of that in to everything we're doing on AI, because... God's creation is very diverse, and that's one of God's rules. Um, and so we need to be thinking very carefully about that. So I think there are some really big challenges for us in trying to think about how do we inculcate that as a as a posture, if you like, um, and, and how do we get alongside people in AI to help them not only reflect on what questions they may not be asking, but also who are they asking questions of in terms of how are they approaching this task? Um, because again, the narrative is private ownership and competing organizations. Um, and they're incentivized to be covert, not share information, not collaborate, race to the top, all that kind of thing. So, but back to your particular point about meaning and stories. Um, there's no reason why we can't just put everything in um, and let the AI discern. I mean, what's really interesting is what AI is particularly good at is pattern spotting. 
Um, and as I mentioned with the example of AlphaZero, it very quickly spotted a strategy that humans had kind of not noticed before, actually. A bit like that funny walkie robot suddenly deciding to look at my facial expression to guide it in how to learn how to walk, which I don't think we'd ever really noticed was a thing before. So we can learn a bit from AI. And I wonder what AI would say to us if every single wisdom tradition we could possibly get our hands on was fed into one of these things. And it had access to every story we've ever captured over history. You know, what it would make of the patterns. Because I bet you there are some. We already know from human efforts on that, that there are definite patterns within stories. And there are definite patterns within sort of moral rules for behaving. Things like the um, the golden rule and love and all of these things. We already know they tend to come out in a human analysis as being kind of meta objectives or meta rules or you know, trends and patterns. Um, so rather than there being a big fight, which is this is the Google version of worldview and this is the OpenAI version of worldview and this is the whoever else, the Chinese version of worldview. Um, if we just bunged the whole lot in, I'd be really interested to see what AI thought would be wise. Um, because presumably God has a handle on every single story we've ever told and every single meaning we've ever made out of everything. Um, and so I wonder what it would be like if AI had that too. Could AI, could AI become a Christian? Of course. Um, and I would think that um, we get very worried about consciousness in AI. It's become a huge distraction because it's quite a useful thief of time and keeps all the philosophers very busy so they don't notice what's really going on. Um, but, but of course AI could, could make any of these decisions. AI could become an anarchist. AI could become a you know, Conservative Party voter or Green Party voter or whatever it wanted. Um, I, I think what tends to worry us is we're not sure what that means. You know, me deciding to worship something or believe something feels like a thing to me because it's part of my subjective experience, part of my personality, my life choices, my consciousness. If an AI did that, we don't know whether that's copying, whether that's got integrity. We don't know because we don't know AI yet. Um, and we don't know what AI will become capable of. And I think as a vicar, you know, we've seen this again in loads of movies and stories. You know, there's a big question, which is at what point do we go to General Synod and say, do we start baptising them? Uh, and that's a really big, really big question. You know, what would your threshold be? And um, then that asks you some very big questions about what are our thresholds anyway? You know, are we doing DNA testing? What, what are we doing to determine whether a person should be allowed to be baptised even or whatever we think. Um, and then you get into these really, really big questions about what are our assumptions. And then you have to start coming back to, well, if our assumption is not that it's DNA because that gets into cloning or not that it's some sort of version of humanity because that gets into eugenics. You know, the thing that is distinctive about humans is they're made in the image of God. So that makes us different from the rabbits, it makes us different from the snakes, it makes us different from the dolphins and the, the mice and anything else that might have some argument to be a better species than us. Um, uh, but it's a, it's a sticky wicket. Um, and if you don't believe in God, then of course you may not have that, that perspective. Um, but if you want humans to prevail, that's where you inevitably end up. Fantastic. I hope that has really helped to piece some of these things together in how uh, what AI is was episode one 
uh, episode two, we looked at what junk code is. But in this episode here, I hope you're really getting a sense of how we can engage and why it's helpful for us to talk about AI and what we can do in the future. And so our next episode will take a deeper dive into that. Uh, but that is us uh, for this week. We've loved having you along uh, in this series. And so we would love it if you could um, rate or review the podcast on your uh podcast platform and so if that's possible we would love to hear from you we would love to hear your thoughts about the podcast um yeah so we hope you have a great week um and we're praying for you wherever you're at uh, but god bless and we'll see you soon